0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. What was life like in St. Louis's gay community six, seven, eight decades ago? And how is it different today? We'll be learning more about the St. Louis gay community in the post-war years with the release of a documentary film featuring movies taken of gay men at a secluded pool party in 1945. It gives some insight into the time when homosexuality was regarded as immoral and gay sex illegal. And it gives us a chance to compare attitudes then and now. Joining me in studio are St. Louis Public Radio arts and culture reporter Nancy Fowler. Miranda Rechtenwald is curator of local history at Washington University, where she helped organize a university LGBTQ mapping project. Stephen Brawley is the author of Gay and Lesbian St. Louis and manages an LGBTQ St. Louis website. Thank you all so much for being with us. Nice to have you. Thank
1: you, Don. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Nancy, let me begin with, uh, begin with you. Um, give us the the overview, if you will, of this documentary from Mr. Jeff Story.
1: Okay. So I believe I first heard of this, actually, when Jeff Story, the filmmaker, contacted you, Don. And yeah. then um, you let me know about it. So I called Jeff, and he told me the story of how, I don't know, 20 years ago, he uh, went to an estate sale on Lindell Boulevard. And he was poking around. He loves history and estate sales. He was a young man then in his 20s. And um, he went to the attic and found two canisters of home movies. And um, he didn't know how old they were or even what they were or what they were of. And he was just curious. And so then he uh, took them home and um, he actually took them to his father's house. And uh, so Jeff's story is a gay man, but he was not out to his father at the time. And so... Took him to his father's house and, you know, to use his projector, and it pretty much uh, went from there.
0: And what did the, the film show?
1: Well, um, he, uh, you know, started it, and he was really surprised by what he saw.
0: Let's have a listen. So I put the film in the projector, and the first thing we see is a man in Pearl's The Long Cigarette sashaying towards the camera so immediately i turned the projector off and go, okay i'm good um and i took the projector back to my house in st louis and uh and watched the film from there and and then proceeded to sit on it for about 20 years why in the world did he sit on it for 20 years
1: yeah i think he well you know there's a lot to that i think um you know he his father did die in 2013. I, I don't know if it was because he just didn't want to kind of, you know, touch that project during mm-hmm. uh, until then. Um he was busy. He has a, you know, he has a day job. Um and I think he just began began um these began gnawing at him, the idea that he would do something with them. I mean, for a while he just created like a 30-minute uh show with a little music behind it and he would show it to various groups of people. Mm-hmm. And you know, but was, the film was um, beginning to become brittle and, and oh, worn, sure. and he w- was afraid that he needed to um, he needed to preserve it and do something with it.
0: He's working on a documentary, including this uh, video, and it will be available maybe in a year and a half. You say?
1: Yeah, something like that, maybe two years. So yeah, yeah um, it's um, going to. Uh, they're, they're trying really. They'd love to find some of the men who were at that pool party. So so yeah, it's basically um, you know dozens of men um, in Hillsboro, Missouri. Um, just enjoying a day in the sun, you know, easy affection and, and dancing and um, just sort of a rare glimpse into to life, a gay life uh, of, of pretty much exclusively wealthy white men, as it turns out, um, but an important sliver nonetheless.
0: We, we'll talk more about the search for people who might have been there and knew something about it a little bit later. But Stephen, let me turn to you. You've seen clips of the film. What do you make of it?
2: Well, when Jeff contacted me, I was thrilled to hear about it. So um, was um, privileged um, uh, about six months ago to to see some of the film, and what struck me was the fact that although they were, you know, somewhat carefree and open, a lot of the men in the and as they were being filmed would either turn away or cover their face. So there was obvious attempts for them not to, you know, be seen um, out of fear of possibly someone seeing this movie. You know, being fired from their jobs. You know, it was you know different back then. So people weren't out like we use the term out today. So um, even though the film is fun to watch and it does have a lot of, like I said, that carefree attitude, there's men from Fort Leonard Wood, we believe, in the movie. So they would have been terribly closeted. Um, Jeff did a great job of being able to zoom in on the patches to see and identify that these were men that would have been stationed at Fort Leonard Wood at the time. So there's lots in this film that you know, you kinda of delve into. So you know, Jeff's doing a great job of trying to figure out the
0: best way to tell the story. Miranda, what's your take? You've seen clips? Yeah,
3: it's it's a really wonderful glimpse and there's not a lot of visual material that exists. So this is really a a rare gem to have um photographs and in, in moving film. Um it reminds me again of, of as Steve said, just how um how secretive people are, um, and had to be um, through really fairly recently. Um, That's something that we discovered in trying to research um, St. Louis history is um, people would use post office boxes. They wouldn't even use their mailing address um, to get literature.
0: How how much different is that from today?
3: Well, it is is different for some people in that it is – not a offense that you could be fired for if you are someone who is, um, based on your sexual identity, um, it is still very much a concern in the trans community today, um, because there are no legal protections in Missouri for someone who is transgender, um, and so that's something that um, as we approached elders in the community about doing oral histories, for instance, there are still a number of people who are very hesitant. Um, Today to record um, record something because they're still needing to remain quite secretive in their life.
1: I want to say real quick that you can still be fired for being gay or lesbian in Missouri, and that's a their measure to prevent that has been languishing in the in the state house for a long time.
0: Yes. Steve, are you surprised that that these men uh, did have their pictures taken? Some of them, as I understand it, and I've seen clips too, didn't notice it. I think Nancy's story uh, points this out, that some of the men were wearing wedding rings.
2: Sure. I think, um, you know, I was shocked by some of the openness. Um, I'm guessing that there was a comfort, comfort level with um, Buddy Walton and Sam who were hosting the party and were doing the film that – They would not do anything untoward with it, but it was still, as you said, I was surprised to see the openness. That's why when you saw folks covering their face, um, not wanting to be on film, obviously they were, you know didn't want anything because you didn't take pictures in bars back sure. in the day. You didn't do any of that. It was it was just not something that was done.
0: Buddy Walton and Sam, you better identify them.
2: Um, Buddy Walton um, was um, hairdresser to the stars okay. um, at the Chase, um, had a salon there forever. His partner, Sam, had the poodle salon and did the dog grooming, which was also at the Chase for a long time. So they were quite the A-list power couple in the gay community back um, I would say from the 50s, 60s, and the 70s, um, very well-known. And so Jeff went to the estate sale at, that was held on Lindell at, at Buddy and Sam's house. And um, Buddy's house is well-known as the summer um, sun, Sunday tea dance. He had a pool, and a lot of members of the gay community would go to his house on Sundays for this summer pool parties and sort of infamous lore and in in local history about his party. So when you talk about Sam and Buddy, there is a segment of the community who really know about that. Um, But that's why this whole movie, I think, is going to resonate with a lot of people because they know Sam and Buddy.
0: And, and Nancy, it's assumed that Buddy took the actual uh, Yes, um,
1: that is – yes, that's what Jeff's Story has come to believe, that that those were taken by him.
0: There are no women in the pictures.
1: There are no women. Um, This was, um, you know – apparently just um, something, sort of a social arena that um, gay men enjoyed, and, predominantly, and white gay men.
0: That does not mean that there wasn't an, an, a lesbian community at the time, and that that was fairly well known.
1: Oh, that's right, exactly. Um, I talked with um, 81-year-old Betty Neely, who everybody in the gay and lesbian community pretty much knows Betty, and, and she was... Uh, you know, roaring down the streets of St. Louis uh, on her Harley. Harley, yes, back in the 50s as a, a 16-year-old mm-hmm. and, you know, and out. She said she was never not out. She was a big presence in the bar. She, she led a big life, and she holds a lot of the, the history um, of the lesbian and gay community.
0: Miranda, what do you see as the value of this documentary when it's released, and, and it will be watched by the general public?
3: It's always great when you can put a face with a story Um, and it really is very helpful to connect with history and um, to be able to make sure that the stories of people in the past you see a photo of people enjoying a pool party and to a certain extent you know who hasn't been to a pool party it's it's an activity that's really easy to relate to and it's it makes for a great jumping off point to talk about um, other issues. Even more difficult history, things like um, racial segregation and um, divisions in society. Um, but it's a it's a great starting point. It's a really it's a very human uh, human endeavor.
2: Steve, what's your take on that? Well, I mean the um, the, the movie um, clips show kissing um, and nudity. Not a lot, but there's some of that in this. So it's kind of you don't see that, you know. In photos, um, let alone a color movie, um, in you know, the late '40s. So that, in and of itself, will be more maybe the more sensational side of when people see it. Oh, you know, they're kissing openly, and there's you know are the pool, so there's people swimming naked. Um, so I think that will be the sensational side. But again, as we're talking about, this is a slice. Gay white males of privilege. Um, there's two people of color in the film that we're not sure if they were there as guests or as sort of helpers to you know, servants possibly to help serve the guests, so we're not sure what their role would have been. So again, so grateful that Jeff have say has saved this and we're gonna have this, but it's important to recognize that's not what life would have been like for the general L G B T Q population in Saint Louis at the time. It would have been it wouldn't have been in a pool party. It would have been very different.
0: Nancy, in, in today's environment, do you think people are going to receive this in the straight community? Are going to receive this as something that is interesting or shocking?
1: Oh, I don't know. I, I think um, interesting for sure. I mean, it is—it's history. It's all of our history. Um, and uh, shocking. I think people, you know, I know, you know, Jeff Story, the filmmaker, said when he saw, you know, the images of the men kissing, and one has on a World War II uniform. Mm-hmm. It was shocking not that it happened but that someone captured that and that, you know, when people see versions of themselves at a time when those kinds of images just weren't taken, much less preserved, I think it's, um, it's, just, it's very meaningful.
0: Uh, I have to take a break, but my guess is it will be a lot less shocking today than certainly it would have been in 1945. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. No question about it. We have to take the break. We're talking about uh, a documentary film that is uh, going to be coming out in about a year and a half, which is showing a group of gay men in Hillsboro, cavorting, if you will, at a, uh, at a pool party. Uh, The impact uh, that that is going to have on the gay community then and now is something we're talking about with uh, Nancy Fowler, our arts and cultural reporter here at St. Louis Public Radio, Miranda Rechtenwald is curator of local history at Washington University, and Stephen Brawley is the author of Gay and Lesbian St. Louis. Back in just a moment, if you'd like to comment, uh, give us a call at 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org or, if you would prefer, a tweet at STL on Air. Now back to our conversation with Nancy Fowler, Miranda Rechtenwald, and Stephen Brawley. Miranda, let me turn to you because uh, you've been involved in something that I don't fully understand. I've seen the maps, but uh, I'll, I'll let you explain. What is this Mapping Project St. Louis?
3: So Mapping LGBTQ St. Louis is an online project um, that started at Washington University Center for the Humanities and it was uh, an effort to find where were places associated with gay and lesbian life in St. Louis from 1945 through the early 1990s. And the difference in it from other projects is we focused on putting these places on a map. So not just finding out um, that there was a club or there was a march or a protest, but where it really happened. Um, And so... Um, it really helps center the history and connect it to today. So, for instance, where we are now here in the studio um, is um, right in the center of where some of the earliest sites we located um, were, including um, Dante's Inferno, which was in the 3500 block of Olive. Um, which next is door. Yeah, next door. So that um, is an identified um, tavern or bar that um, was associated with um, – Gay life since the 1930s,
0: and and where in the 40s was uh, were the centers of them?
3: Um, still in this area, actually, um, and then by um, the late 50s and early 60s, um, some clusters around the Central West End and Lafayette Square. But one of the things that um, when we went into this project, we didn't know, and until we tracked down, you know, as many locations as we could. Um, looking at them on the map, it really shows throughout St. Louis City and County and on the east side in Illinois, there are places associated with LGBTQ life throughout time, throughout our city. And um, it really kind of helps dispel the myth that there's just one little pocket of of where people who are different live or, or socialize, um, that this is something that's throughout – our history going back to the 30s and throughout their whole region. that It it really is just not talked about until recently.
0: Uh, Steve, would you answer that question the same way? The the value of having uh, this this map and these locations?
2: Sure. When WashU invited um, uh, the History Project to be involved, we were thrilled and so um, there's currently, Miranda, what, 850 locations on this map. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very well-rounded. We're talking not just like a bar or a club, but Places of worship, a place where there might have been an event, whether it was a protest or a march, um, a very well-rounded um, view of life that people just might, especially in the straight community, not think about. You know that that prism. So that when you click on the map, it's amazing to see how well-rounded it is and in, in 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 the diversity of of places and how there was segregation of the African-American community and the gay community just like there is in the straight community. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very telling of St. Louis as a
0: divided city. Nancy, that's an, a very important distinction to make, isn't it, the fact that uh, th- this community is everywhere and that people should know that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, th- there's not like a real a true way, like a, a, there's no census that – Really can collect that information, but yeah, just you know, anecdotally, I mean, LGBTQ people are everywhere. Some people think, well, they're just in the city. We're just in the city, but you know, no, in every sort of walk in walk of life, our neighbors, our coworkers.
2: Well, in Saint right. Louis, you know, you we know, you know, we kind of had our heyday at the you know World's Fair era, or. St Louis was like the, what the fourth largest city, so you know St. Louis was a major metropolis, and so there a lot of our research is showing that there were lots of um, gay and lesbians who were able to come to the big city to meld in they might have come from farms or places where I can come to the big city and kind of live in the shadows and be whatever true self they could have been at the time um, and so St. Louis has an important history to tell about these lives in the shadows, we don't have the history because
0: we don't know who they were. I want to get back to the video in a second, but Miranda, I have to ask you, how did you compile this information?
3: So it was a very long process. It was over a year and a half with a number of um, researchers, um, students, and graduate students, and faculty who worked on this. Um, We have and continue to track down every scrap of information we have, so something like the video um, that's coming out, um, the film found, hopefully, to be in the documentary. I mean, any little scrap. Um, Just within the last month, um, Ian Darnell, who's um, one of the other team members, uh, he stumbled upon some digitized material that the Smithsonian had that allowed us to add some um, important history from the late 1950s. Um, and so every little scrap that we've been able to get. But a lot of it is possible now um, that wouldn't have been possible before because of searching digitally. So historical newspapers, things that have been digitized, we're able to do word searches for um, that we wouldn't have been able to find that history even five years You're, ago.
0: And searching for what? Specific locations so where people congregated, that sort so of thing? we
3: would we would do searches um, through for historical terms. So one of them that we used to find a lot of locations was female impersonator, Mm -hmm. um, which could mean someone performing what people might today consider a drag king or queen. Um, It also could be um, someone who was maybe wanting to live the life of, of a gender other than they were born with, but not able to, so they were kind of performing and living that life. So we would look for things like that. And then we would also look for, um, in many cases, it was really sad history to look for because we had to look for crimes um, because much of, of gay life was criminalized.
0: Hate, hate crimes you're talking about?
3: Hate crimes, but also, um, so in the city of St. Louis, um, starting in the 1840s, there was a um, ordinance on the books um, that prohibited dressing in clothing of your opposite gender or um, dressing as a woman if you were a man and vice versa. Um, That is not um, taken off the books until a court challenge in 1986. So, um, you know, that's really quite recent. And so we were looking for people who were arrested for cross-dressing or dressing in...
1: um, other clothing. Didn't they have to produce like three items of clothing that matched the gender marker on their license or something like that?
3: Um, Yeah. So the law was very vaguely written, which was ultimately how um, the ACLU of Missouri was able to challenge it in court. Um, So police would use those, but there was no set criteria. There was nothing in the law. So it was all very subjective, which left people, of course, open to blackmail, to extortion, um... To, could you pay to get out on bond and then you wouldn't maybe have an arrest record? So it was all, it's all very. Bits and pieces, and this
0: has only taken you a year and a half to get, to get this far. Wow, that's uh, that's a lot of research. Speaking of looking for people, Nancy, I want to come back to you because this is one of the more fascinating aspects of this video: is the fact that uh, trying to track down people who were there—they've got to be in their nineties by now, one would assume. Right, or people who knew what was going on. What have you found?
1: Yeah, well, so um, the documentary will not, like as you said, not only consist of these. Um, images from this party, but also, you know, hopefully their hope is to find someone who was there and, you know, secondarily, relatives of someone who was there. So what uh, Jeff Story did was he put together a 30-minute reel and showed it to just various groups of, of gay people, hoping someone might recognize a face. And so um, also um, a woman named Beth Prusasik joined uh, as the uh, co-director, and it has been her job to make the phone calls, say, oh, you know, here's, and to get to that point, they're like, um, okay, here's a face, maybe we can find a name, let's Google it, let's see if there's any relatives. And so Prisasek has been the one, you know, that's usually gotten in touch with relatives. A lot of uncles, uh, people's uncles were in the, at the pool party that day. And so she would usually write a letter and then follow up with a phone call. But it wasn't until the phone call that she really would say what these what this film was about that really would spell it out that it was about a gay pool party and so she waited into the phone call to see how people would react
0: another tough job
1: so i pretty
3: quickly in the conversation say you know i we found these um old home movies we've identified you know your your uncle they're all uncles <laughs> so far um, and you know we this this is a project about what it was like to be gay in the 1940s and 50s in st louis and I hold my breath because I don't know if they're going to hang up, if they're going to say, we don't want to talk about that. You have the wrong number. Um, and to my surprise, every single person has been, oh, of course, he was so happy to talk and so open. But in the interviews that we do subsequently and we get deeper into it, it does sound like it wasn't talked about very much in the family. The family's new, but it was don't ask, don't tell. We know you know that Uncle Buddy has a friend, Sam. We know probably that they're gay, but we're not going to ask.
0: Nancy, do you have any sense of what they have learned from what interviews they've been able to do?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a few things is that a lot of the families, while they, you know, as you said, you know, maybe they knew that their relative was gay, there there wasn't a, any sort of formalization of those relationships and, uh, and and really no sense of what kind of hardship these men, you know, might have faced. It was just, you know, not a lot of deep exploration into that. They, you know, I don't know how they know this, but that what they've said is that there were many men that did, you know, maybe meet a tragic end, um, a lot of um, alcoholism, um, which, you know, is probably no surprise in a marginalized community that there would be um some difficulties like that.
0: Steve, what would, what would you hope to learn from these interviews?
2: Well, we're thrilled that um, we're having this process to identify even more folks for oral histories and and to record and preserve this for the future. So I'm all into the whole mentorship. So what can you know, our elders tell about what life would have been like and what can um, younger audiences learn about that? I've always been um, careful the last few years, especially – doing presentations with with youth to say, you know, you were born at a time where certain things were common. So your elders did not have this. They didn't walk down the street holding hands. They didn't have Pride Festivals. They, you know, they could be arrested in a bar at any moment. So I'll, you know, I talk about standing on each other's shoulders. So it's important for younger audiences to know about these struggles and hardships of the past and maybe not take it for granted.
0: Uh, Miranda would you would you uh Hope to meld this kind of information f- that they're gathering now into your research.
3: Yes, the the mapping project, um, which is a series of websites um, that anybody can get to, it's it's freely on the web. We are really trying to include as many resources and connections. Um, it's it's always a, a hard effort to to get information out, but one of the things that we really want is to share information and hope that people will be interested in doing more documentaries, doing more research. Um, And so um, one of the ways we're building is to to hopefully include um, interviews, resources that come out from making this film, and then also other projects. So there's a course at Washington University of undergraduates um, that's working on doing oral histories. Um, with members of um, the gay and lesbian community here in St. Louis. And we're hoping to make those available online and and link all of that.
0: Well, the more you come up with, Nancy's going to be on it. I I'll, I can guarantee that. We have a caller here who wants to get into the conversation. Our time is winding down, but let's hear what Kay has to say. Go ahead, Kay.
1: Hi. Um I am listening to your program and I'm thinking about when I grew up as a child my grandparents owned land in Osage Beach and it was a subdivision it was all black and it still is predominantly black and when I'm thinking about it a lot of our neighbors were gay and lesbian we don't really talk about it but I'm wondering if maybe this was a haven for vacationing blacks that might have been gay or lesbian, and whether you guys have any information on how I can further explore explore that.
0: Thanks, Kay. Anybody have an answer for Kay?
1: No, but I'd love to talk with her.
0: We'll Well, Kay, if you're are you still there? Yes, I am. Uh, leave your contact information with our screener, if you would, and, um, and Nancy will try to get in touch with you.
3: Okay, great. Thanks. One yeah. thing that um, we did find, not in the case of this particular community, but um, Ian Darnell really um, focused on this, looking at The fact that a lot of very prominent bars and social hangouts for white gays and lesbians um, tended to be in neighborhoods that were kind of mixed between black and white residents or kind of a more transitional neighborhood um, that was maybe skewing towards, say, lower renters, people. Um, And his, his thoughts on this, I think, are really similar to what the caller mentioned, which is um, if you are white and you were gay and lesbian, and you hung out in an area where your your social circle of neighbors and friends weren't likely to be around, that put you in a safer place. Um, so that, that's sort of one of the ways we've we've really started to think about the way race and gender and sexuality are are really intersecting.
0: We have to wrap this up, but uh, Steve, let me ask you: Is there a bottom line you want to put to this conversation and this research?
2: Bottom line is: um, if you run across something. Don't throw it away. I don't care if it's a, a home movie, a poster, um, a, a button, um, an artifact. We want to preserve it. So we have wonderful resources here in St. Louis through Washington University, the History Museum, over at UMSL at the State Historical Society. Call us and we'll find a nice place to keep it safe for history.
0: Is there one best place that we can put on our website for people who might find something?
2: Um, put our on the St. Louis History Project, which is com, and we have links to all
0: of our community resources there. We, we will definitely do that. Nancy, bottom line?
1: Um, yeah, I just think that, you know, as Steve said, this is an important history to preserve. And I just wanted to let people know that um, on our website, stlpublicradio.org, you can actually see about a 20-second clip of the film, plus some still pictures from that
0: film. You have a a, a very extensive story on that. uh, Yes, On the website, it was part of that story. Well, thank you all. Nancy Fowler, great to have you with us, arts and culture reporter here at St. Louis Public Radio, Miranda Rechtenwald of Washington University, thank you so much for being with us, and Stephen Brawley, great to see you again, author of Gay and Lesbian St. Louis. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.